Welcome to DST Radio, where we feature best-in-class insight and opinion from thought leaders and practitioners in the healthcare industry to help you stay informed to make the best decisions. Welcome back to DST Radio. I'm your host, Todd Youngblood, joined today by an individual who, frankly, is intensely focused on advancing the state of the art and science of population health management, in particular with coordinating clinician activities to improve patient outcomes. Please welcome Dr. Karen Kinder, the Executive Director of the Adjusted Clinical Group System at the Johns Hopkins University. Karen, we all appreciate how you're accommodating our time zone differences. Welcome and thanks for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here to be able to talk about this very important uh, subject. Important subject it is. Karen, before we do dive into that, though, could you give us a quick overview of the ACG system? The ACG system was developed uh, roughly 30 years ago. Uh, It's a case mix system that also provides risk stratification of patients and when aggregated in their four populations. It also includes various predictive models to help anticipate healthcare resource use as well as identify patients uh, at risk of, of various adverse events. It's unique in its ability to capture multimorbidity, and it's uh, backed, as you mentioned, by the Johns Hopkins University. At the moment, we have projects ongoing in 18 countries around the world impacting over 80 million lives, making it the most widely used case mix system in the world. Wow. I had no idea that many folks were impacted. 80 million, that's <laughs> very impressive. Well, let's dive into coordination of care. And I just want to make sure that uh, myself and our listeners are clear on some of the definitions of the key terminology. Could you just define for us two terms, one, primary care, and second, care coordination? Coordination, uh, what we tend to base our definition on is Carlos' uh, definition that he published in JAMA in 1989, which is it measures the extent to which a patient's principal care physician or clinician is aware of all the treatments that that patient is receiving and then communicates that with the other providers. As Barbara Starfield defined in her seminal book, Primary Care, which was published in 1992, Primary care is the provision of first contact, person-focused, ongoing care over time that meets the health-related needs of people, and referring only those patients with, with conditions too uncommon to, for, for the physician to maintain competence, and then coordinating that care when people receive services at other levels in, in the healthcare system. So basically, it's a first contact, continuous care, comprehensive, and coordinated. Therefore, coordination is, therefore, a pillar of the foundation of primary care. Now, evidence has shown that coordination exerts an important impact on both the efficiency, so costs, as well as the effectiveness or the quality of care. And what we also have found is that patients most in need of highly coordinated care include those with uh, multimorbidity, uh, multiple chronic medical conditions, or those receiving simultaneous care from several health professionals or are on many medications. It also uh, impacts patients undergoing extensive diagnostic workups or transitioning from hospital back into the primary care setting or from, from one setting of care to another. So we felt it was important, given this dynamic and the fact that our populations are 
increasing in age and therefore the associated multimorbidity is increasing. We thought it was important to be, provide a means to systematically assess this important but often neglected dimension of care. Furthermore, measuring coordination enables the identification of patients who might be at risk of poorly coordinated care so that interventions can be implemented to improve their care. It also facilitates the management aspect by providing a better understanding of a clinician's practice behavior and referral patterns. So it's, it's an important aspect that we felt it was important to create a measure for. Okay, speaking of measures, give us a little detail on coordination markers, what they are and how they're used. Well, Johns Hopkins, the ACG system, we introduced the ACG coordination markers a few versions ago in order to identify populations that are at risk for poorly coordinated care. Now, they can be either used by themselves or in conjunction with other risk markers that creates a set of markers adding another dimension to, to help and aid the clinical screening process. The basic premise is that individuals receiving poorly coordinated care have worse clinical outcomes and have higher medical expenses than individuals who are being provided with coordinated care. So we started out by creating four markers, namely a majority source of care, which determines the percent of outpatient visits provided by the clinicians that a patient sees over a specified observation period. We typically look at a year. We also count the number of unique uh, clinicians that are providing care over that time frame. We count the number of specialties that an individual might see, and that's particularly important for individuals with multiple morbidity and, and various different diseases because they may be seeing a multitude of specialists. Right. We also look at whether a generalist is seen, whether a primary care family doctor is there, and that's a binary flag to help us gain an understanding of whether the person's care is likely to be coordinated. And how is this data used? Well, what, wait, wait, let me finish with the measures because what we did beyond that is just the markers themselves were what we started with. But then we decided to enhance uh, the utility of these markers by combining them into a single summary score. So we created thresholds that partition the markers, for instance, obviously a generalist being seen as binary. Right. If a person saw more than five specialists, that was considered high. If a person saw more than five specialties. If a person saw more than seven providers or clinicians in a year, that was also considered high. But what, and by combining these thresholds, we came up with 17 distinct combinations, which we then consolidated through uh, recursive regression to, to create three levels which assess the risk of poorly coordinated care. And that those were delineated by likely coordinated, so a patient can have his care is likely to be coordinated, possibly coordinated, or is unlikely to be coordinated. The key here is we're trying to identify those patients whose care is unlikely to be coordinated so that interventions can be applied. Is there any correlation to costs? There is, and, and, and let me continue on with the care density score where we've done some recent advances and have shown, demonstrated the cost savings as well as the improved outcomes. So in augmenting our condition or our excuse me, our coordination markers and our coordination risk score, we we are excited about the new care density score, which was recently released in version eleven of the ACG system. Now borrowing from social network theories, researchers at Johns Hopkins developed this measure at a patient level, 
which assesses the degree to which patients are shared amongst clinicians. My hypothesis being that clinicians with more patients in common form a virtual network uh, and therefore and thereby would have a higher level of communication and coordination. And what we found was there is a definite and distinct association between increased care density. So the more patients that are shared amongst this virtual network of physicians, the lower the cost. And this lower cost applies both to ambulatory care, hospital care, as well as pharmacy care. We see across the board cost savings. We also found that patients with the highest care density had significantly lower rates of adverse events because of the communications and lower 30-day readmissions compared with patients with low care density. The measure, we feel the measure may present a useful tool to help identify patients at risk for poor outcomes and thereby facilitate improved communication and other interventions in support of better care coordination. Now, as I mentioned, it was recently released. Version 11 came out last December. So we're, we're waiting, anxiously awaiting feedback from our user base to validate the results that we were able to establish in our initial research. How far along is the implementation of it? Any, any early feedback? We're running, right now we're running a focus group amongst our user base to find out what they're finding. To be honest, it's still early because having, having it been just released in December, impacts such as what we're anticipating generally would take more than six months to manifest themselves. And what, what do you anticipate learning from it? Maybe that's an unfair question. Uh, since, since you're so close to developing all this. But it, it, it seems to me that having that kind of information provides a, a clinician with, a, with a, lot of, uh, a lot of meat and a lot of information to, to increase the quality of the care that's delivered. Well, I had the, advantage, uh, the uh, privilege to present last week in Sweden at the Nordic Congress for General Practitioners, and I emphasized the need for them to understand both their, referral, their own referral patterns and behaviors and then also to communicate with the other providers and clinicians that are taking care and treating their patients. So it's, it's an incur a way to encourage change in physicians' behavior, it also provides information for administrative or managerial functioning. So, so a health plan or an HMO would be able to pinpoint exact behavior amongst their provider and influence that in a positive way so that at the end of the day, the patient's care is improved and hopefully their health is improved, which is the end game. In the Karen, I have to acknowledge I'm neither a, a health care professional or in the health insurance side of it, uh, or HMO side of it at all. But intuitively, it strikes me that having this kind of data, regardless of what it's indicating, it, it seems like something that uh, the medical community would get quite excited about. What kind of feedback did you get at the conference? Mixed. Um, and I say mixed. Everybody was very excited. They think it's really interesting how we're using the social network theories to apply it to medical care. With that said, many of them are not in a situation where they capture the data that's needed. So that is, that is a common hurdle that I face in, in, in many countries, is that the data that they have is incomplete or insufficient for a lot of the analyses that, that we're able to provide.
assuming that this has tremendous value, which I have no doubt it will, how is how can folks get in a position where they can capture that data more easily? I mean, is it a is it a highly sophisticated IT system required, or is it a relatively straightforward process? It's it's very straightforward. It's it's in fact in many ways it's already there. It's in the electronic medical records that are you know, capturing the data sitting uh, that is sitting on a physician's computer that's sitting on his desk in his practice. But it's a matter of capturing that data, aggregating it across uh, the entire network, because if we want to measure the, that physician's patient's interactions with other physicians and providers, we need to be able to measure that and connect, connect those two realms. And that's, it, it's, it's not difficult, it's just it needs legislative political will and uh, a champion to, to make it happen. Yeah, so is it fair to say that that a clinic or a hospital that has an EMR system already implemented, that it's a it's a fairly short leap to to get there to be able to collect and analyze the data? If there, there are several caveats, I would say yes. But as I said, there are several caveats. One is interoperability. If a country has a standard e-health strategy where there's a standard minimum data collected including a unique pa uh, patient identifier, such as their insurance number. I mean, we in the United States take for granted that everybody has a unique number, but in many countries that does not exist. In, in a recent project that we did in, in a Middle Eastern country, we ended up having all sorts of pregnant men because in their society, in their culture, the, the wives were in underneath his number. So he was his insurance was his insurance number was covering all of these individuals who were women giving birth. Wow! So, yeah. The devil's so in the details as usual. Right, and that's what makes this so exciting. Is but it's all it's all possible, but it's teasing out the challenges and overcoming them over time. Karen, a few minutes ago, you used the phrase "political will." And obviously, the, the political side of this thing looms large. Do you see any major obstacles there, or, or is it something that the politicians of the world would just really get behind? Hopefully, it's the latter. Uh, it's also mixed based on setting. Um, I applaud Obamacare and the Accountable Care Act for its initiatives to implement and promote the use of health information technologies and provide the incentives, and that's one of the key key issues is you need to have an incentive for doctors to invest in a computer system and invest in an electronic medical record system. With that said, in other countries, there's also lobbyists that lobby against such a system. General practitioners often feel that the data sitting on their computer belongs to them. It's their data, it's their computer, it's their computer system. It's their practice, it's their patient, and there's often a need to overcome a hesitance on their part to share that information. Karen, are you in a position yet, and say so if you're not comfortable, because I know that a lot of the data is not in and the analysis, therefore, is not done, but what do you expect the impact on care quality and on the economic side of it? At this stage, uh, we're looking at simply the ability to identify patients. Because once those patients have been identified who are potentially at risk of uncoordinated care and those individuals who could benefit by early detection and interventions, 
they'll, in the long term, sustain better long-term outcomes as well as uh, lower costs around the board. But there's also on the on that that's on the patient side. In terms of the clinician, there's a need for the ability to understand how their practice behavior is with regards to referrals and coordination, um, particularly in the increasingly fragmented healthcare system that is being we're facing around the world. What's next, Karen? What what's on your agenda to speed up the implementation of these systems? Uh, to me, anyway, it seems like there's some obvious and very very large value. What's next on my plate is to continue to go out and spread spread the word, to continue to present to various audiences the need to uh, the importance of information, what can be done with it, and to continue to promote primary care and what can be achieved by having the information necessary to make informed decisions. Karen, I've got 20 more questions I'd like to ask you, but sadly, we're just about out of time. But before I let you go, can you share with us how folks can get more information and learn more about the work that you're doing at the ACG system? Oh, gladly, Todd. Thanks for asking. They can certainly get more information from our website, which is www.acg.jhsph.edu. They can also call the DST hotline at 866-287-9243. There's also an email address directly to our ACG hot desk in Baltimore, which is askacg at jhu.edu. Karen Kinder, Executive Director of the ACG System at Johns Hopkins University. Thanks for joining us today and sharing your insights. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. Thank you. That wraps this episode. On behalf of our guest, Karen Kinder, I'm Todd Youngblood. Thanks for listening to DST Radio. Thank you for listening to DST Radio. For more information or questions, you can contact DST Health Solutions at 800-272-4799 or email us at marketing at dsthealthsolutions.com. 